0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about
1: our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Has God ever spoken to you? I mean it. Have you ever been sitting in front of your TV watching, I don't know, something like Sports Center, and all of a sudden the, the flat screen television bursts into flames and you hear this voice from up above saying, pick up those dirty socks off the floor for this is holy ground. No? Well, that's exactly what happened to a guy named Moses. He was just minding his own business and boom. Why doesn't God speak to us? I mean, like he did to Moses. Why doesn't he just show up and verbally tell us the next step in the process? But then again, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe we should be asking God what we need to deal with inside of us. So that he can speak to us, we know God's speaking to us, so we obey.
0: Maybe you felt that way before. Have you ever been there where you think everybody else hears from God but me? I mean, somebody breaks out the uh, the card and they play the trump card. Well, here's what the Lord told me, and that's I mean, that's like the final one. I mean, no matter what you're holding. I mean, you just then had to fold, right? Well, that's what the Lord told me. What's the answer to that one? Really? I mean, I, it's amazing to me how that happens. And may, maybe you're like me and you're wondering, well, well, how do I know that God is speaking to me? Or, or maybe you're saying, I'd like to hear from God. You know, one of the most amazing uh, truths we find in Scripture is that when God speaks, he typically deals with the person before he deals with whatever the problem is. You see, our challenge is to be able to hear from God, we have to be able to do several things. One, we have to know his voice. You can't know his voice unless you spend any time with him. But you know, the other part of that is to be able to hear from God, we've got to allow him to own our heart. I mean, it's interesting to me when you think about this series, Rescue, we have two kind of people in the room. We have people who need to be rescued, and we have people who God has called to be part of the rescue. Anybody else, we're just sitting on the fence. We're just waiting to get in the game. We're in the stands, and all of the game of life is happening around us with somebody that needs to be rescued, or there are people that God has called to be a part of the rescue, and none of us are, are excluded from those two. And we find in this series, the rescue out of the book of the Exodus, we find how God begins this journey by talking to Moses, Moses responding, and then how does the power of God and the voice of God direct the life of Moses to be used as a part of the rescue team? And we begin to understand what that looks like when we understand a little of the history found in the book of the Exodus. And we find beginning in chapter 1 and verse 14 out of the New International Version, it says that they had made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. In other words, you've got the people of Israel, an entire nation, who are held captive by the Egyptians. You've seen the movie that comes around Easter time of the 10 commandments. And you know, the Israelites are held captive. I mean, they're beaten and they're scourged and they're used like plow animals and, and they have been dog cussed for 400 years. Now that's, that's a little worse than a bad day at the office. 400 years, they have been exhausted by their captors. And in the middle of all of that sorrow and in the middle of all that pain, in the middle of all that problem, they are reminded from a message that God gave Abram back in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, beginning of verse 12, God gives this promise. He says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Then I love this little word, but... I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. You see, in God's way, he picks a human. He picks a man by the name of Moses to rescue his people. Now, I want to make sure that you understand where we're going here. We're going to teach out of the third and the fourth chapters of the book of the Exodus. And make sure you get this picture. Moses, an Israelite who once was in the presence of the king, raised by a royal family, and Moses is now away from him living in Midian. And in Midian, he's found a life of comfort. He's got his staff. He's got his sheep. He's got his family. He's got his Israelite 401k. He's good. He settled all is well. My chariot is comfortable. I have fruit on the table. My wife loves me. I got kids. I have All that I've worked for, I've arrived here and I'm comfortable. And in a minute, God is going to intervene. And all of a sudden we're going to go from a people in desperate need to be rescued. And all of a sudden God picks a man to be a part of the rescue. Now, if you miss this, you're going to miss this entire series. So don't miss this. God himself is speaking to us the same way he's speaking to Moses, calling us To be a part of the rescue, to be a part of a rescue to people in need, to be a rescue to people in great sorrow. So here's Moses. Moses is kind of minding his own business. He's away from all that's happening back in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, God speaks Moses, and he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And If I just stopped right there at that period, it's a reminder to us, no matter what you're in the middle of today, God sees and knows where you're at. If you're here today and what you're burdened with and what you're chained down to is loneliness, God knows that loneliness. If you're here today and you're enslaved or trapped, something that has grabbed a hold of you, a bad relationship, a bad marriage, a a child that has broken your heart, maybe an addiction, God knows those things. He experiences that just like he's saying, I understand the misery of my people in Egypt. And God goes on and says, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, for you and I to hear milk and honey, our first thought is, I, I don't like milk. I'm not even sure, all I do with honey is sweeten my Starbucks. I I don't get that. The picture here is God is saying, I'm going to give you a land more prosperous than you could ever imagine and I'm going to give it to you in abundance and beyond that, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you more than you could humanly comprehend because at that time, two great treasures in the world would have been fresh milk and honey. God is saying to them, I'm going to give you more than you could ever imagine and when I do, it's going to blow your mind. So God goes on and says in verse 10, so now, and remember who he's speaking to, he's speaking to Moses, he says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. God saw and God felt the misery of the people that had been locked down for 400 years. And in the middle of that, following up on a promise that he had made, not only to those people, but to us, I will redeem you. I will rescue you. God comes along in Exodus three and in the life of Moses living at ease says, let me pull you out of that life at ease. And I'm going to send you on a mission. I'm going to send you behind enemy lines and I'm going to give you a mission. And Moses is saying, mm, this can't be good. I'm comfortable. I don't want to give up my comfort. everything's good. I'm at that stage of life, God. We're just, just let me settle down. This is good. Look at all this. It's wonderful. I got a tent full of cool stuff. This is good. And at that moment, Moses encounters God in the midst of a burning bush. Do you remember the story? Moses is minding his own business and he walks by a bush and it's on fire. And on fire, we see that Moses looks at the bush and the bush is not being consumed by the fire. So we have fire, no consumption of the bush. Now, what would you think if you were that guy?
1: Well, how about that?
0: I mean, I, some of us would treat it the same way we, we treat a uh, singing and worship. Well, it's a bush. It's on fire. But let's face it, I'm so cool. I'm not going to be excited about that. It's just a bush on fire. But Moses sees it. And all of a sudden, is, has this overwhelming recognition. Wait a minute. I am here, and this is a picture of God's presence in my life. So all of a sudden, Moses has this recognition that he's standing at holy ground, which leads us to try to figure out the definition of what is holy ground. So let, let me answer it for you. Are you ready? Wherever God is, that's holy ground. This past Wednesday night, when I was worshiping with our middle and high school students in the underground, you know where God was? That was holy ground. That was holy ground. Yesterday, I had the honor of being able to preach two separate funerals of, of, of two very unique men. And, and in the middle of all that, you know where we stood because God showed up. I was standing on holy ground.
1: You know where holy ground
0: exists? Holy ground exists where God exists. When you stand today, we're not holy because we put Sugar Hill Church as a sign out there. This is not holy ground because this is what we call a church. It is holy ground because this is where God is. And where God is, is holy. He is not the man upstairs, and Moses knew that. He knew he was standing on holy ground. And in the minute of that, in the middle of obscurity, God shows up. And all of a sudden, the dust, the dirt, the isolation of the wilderness became holy ground. And he heard God speak. And he must be thinking, wait a minute. But God, you don't understand. This is really good. What if if it doesn't work, God? I'm not an eloquent speaker. God, what is the plan here? And over the course of time in the book of Exodus, we find that God says, you're the plan. You're the plan. Which kind of stops and, and stops us dead up in our tracks and asks this question, who is it that God's called you to be a part of the rescue team with? Who is it that God's called you to be a part of that team? Let me ask you, who saw you at your desk turning over a Bible and say, hey, what are you doing? So that you could share that. Let me ask you a question. In your next door neighbor, in the middle of their grief and their sorrow, do, who, who called to reach out to them? Today, when when you rode by and your neighbor didn't know anything about this church, did you reach out and rescue them and say, hey, come with me? Who's God called you to be a part of the rescue? You say, Well, Chuck, but I'm comfortable here. I'm good. I don't have a burning bush. I would argue we all have a burning bush. We just choose to not see it for what it is. Because God has clearly called us to be a part of his redemptive plan. God says to Moses, I need you to do several things. I need you to make three unique choices. And in God. It continues in the story in Exodus 4 where God uses object lessons to teach Moses and to teach us three valuable choices in our life. There he is moving from Midian, the known, now to the unknown. From the safe to the dangerous, from comfort to insecurity, And there's three choices that Moses has to make, and I believe there are three choices that we all have to make. In Exodus chapter 4, we find choice number one, and you may want to jot these down because you're going to forget them before you get in the car. Number one, I believe the choice that God gives to Moses to make, and for us, is
1: learn to handle your power or learn to surrender your life. There I was, Moses, standing before this burning bush listening to the voice of God. God was speaking to me. And, and although my mind may have questioned it, I knew he was right when he told me that I was standing on holy ground. I knew it was holy because he was there. And, and then God tells me that, that after 40 years of being a shepherd in Midian, that, that he wanted me to change careers. I mean, come on. I had already started mulling over potential retirement plans in my head, and now this? But I knew God was speaking to me. And then he tells me to throw down my staff. Now, whoa, that one gave me a bit of a pause. My staff? That's the most important tool in my toolbox. I've used that staff for 40 years for offense, for defense, and sometimes for nothing other than comfort. My staff belongs to me, and he wanted me just to to throw it down. But I knew God was speaking to me, so I obeyed. So over in the fourth chapter
0: of Exodus, beginning in verses 3 and 4, it says the Lord said to Moses, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back to a staff and in hand. And I guess we should ask the question, why did God tell Moses to throw down his staff? I mean, what, what does that mean to you and I? When I watch this, Moses in his identity and what he did, the way he provided for his family, that was his comfort. That was his method of provision. That was his tool that God had put in his tool belt to make a difference. And what God was saying to him is this. When you throw it down, what you're literally doing, Moses, is you're saying, you're not going to hold on to any of what you know to do. You're going to surrender everything to me. And he says, Moses, throw it down. You see, a lot of us want to give God about 90%. And we'll say, okay, God, listen, I'm doing pretty good compared to so-and-so. I'm giving you 90% here. And God says, but if I don't have it all, I don't have anything. God says, you know, if if you're going to give me partial obedience, you're giving me total disobedience. Moses, throw the staff down. So Moses takes everything that he knows to be comfortable, everything he knows that that provides for him, everything that he's worked for, everything that he strives to own, and he throws it down. Businessman, he's, he's saying, why don't you take your business plan and throw it down and let me own it? Realtor, why don't you throw down your marketing plan and let me own it? He says, hey, musician, why don't you throw your instrument down and let me own it? He says, why don't you throw your 401k down and let me own it? Why don't you throw your savings down and let me use it? And he's saying, listen, everything good came to you from on high. Why don't you let me trust? Why don't you trust me with it? Why don't you let me use it to change this world? For him to throw it on the ground was a big, 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 big deal. I mean, in verse 2, it's just a staff. It's a piece of wood. In verse 20, though, in verse 20, it's the staff of God. In verse 2, it's a piece of wood. In verse 20, it's the staff of God. The Bible teaches us this incredible, simple principle. Our life is not our own. And literally what God is saying to Moses is, this isn't about you, buddy. You are literally a rescuer on my mission. I picked you to be a part of the redemptive plan of all history. Throw that down. Whatever it is you're clinging to, that is your comfort. Slow it down and throw it down and be done with it. And trust me. You know, as believers, I think sometimes we, we forget that we need to give up our rights and take on responsibility. Sometimes I think we, we feel like, well, because I'm a Christian, I have rights. You know, everything the Bible teaches me this one incredible lesson. As a Christian, I have no right. I have responsibility. I don't have rights because literally I sold them all to say, Christ, it's all in you. Anything good that comes from me is you. Anything bad from me that you forgive, you forgive. All that I have comes from you. And Moses is in this place where he's first got to wonder and understand, wait a minute, in the middle of this, how am I going to handle this power? Otherwise, I'm going to surrender my life. But now he's got to deal with this incredible process. Wait a minute, Jesus, this stuff is not mine anymore. It's not my business. It's not my day. It's all yours. And he hits choice number two and he says, you've got to learn to hate your personal sin or you got to learn to pay the price. You got to hate your personal sin or you're going to have to pay the price.
1: I knew it. God was speaking to me. And if the burning bush wasn't evidence enough, I gave up my staff. He showed me his power and then he gave it back to me. But he wasn't finished yet. God told me to take my hand and to put it into my cloak. I knew God was speaking to me, so I obeyed. But what I pulled out was not my hand, or at least I didn't believe it was, although the the pain told me otherwise. I I instantly wondered what was inside of me to cause this leprosy. I, I nearly screamed out in pain and agony. But then God told me to put my hand back into my cloak my mind was screaming with questions and concerns, but I knew God was speaking to me, so I obeyed. So in
0: verse 6, the Lord said, put your hand, Moses, inside your cloak. So Moses puts his hand inside his cloak over across his heart. And, and, and when he takes it out, his skin is now filled with leprosy. Now, if you know your Bible, you know in the Old Testament, leprosy is not just a picture of a physical ailment. It is a picture of a spiritual ailment. You recognize, you know, your Old Testament that this is a picture that God is saying to Moses, stick your hand in your heart. And when you pull it back out, all of a sudden Moses looks at his hands and must have freaked out because now he's a leper. His hands filled with scars and sores and boils. And he's thinking, this is not good. And we recognize that leprosy then is symbolic of corruption and compromise. And in the same way that physical leprosy works, so does spiritual leprosy where it starts in one place and spreads beyond. And God's beginning this process of letting Moses know to use you is all a matter of your heart, not about your skill. To use you and to, to see you be a part of my redemptive plan is a matter of your heart, not about your hands. I need your heart, but it's also a picture that says, wait a minute, Moses, I need you to deal with your private sin before I can use you to do great things. I I have young guys who'll call me pretty occasionally. Well, Chuck, I really feel like God's called me to be in ministry. I know God's called me to preach. I know God's called me to go to missions. And I'll ask him this one question. I said, well, let me ask you this. Are you praying for God to give you a great ministry or are you praying for God to use you greatly as you minister? Which one? What God's doing to Moses is check your heart. I believe he's saying the same thing to you and I. Before, you, before God can use you in this great way, before God can use you to change the world, just check your heart. Because whatever's going on in here is going to be an indication of what comes out here. Whatever is an indication here is going to be displayed here. Whatever's an indication here is going to be left in your pathway wherever you walk, God says, wait a minute. Make sure when you stick your hand in your heart, you're dealing with unforgiveness. You're dealing with cynicism. You're dealing with apathy. You're dealing with being judgmental. You're dealing with having a rebellious religious spirit. You're you're dealing with bitterness and personal offenses against other people. And God is trying to say, put your hand in your heart and see what comes out. You got to deal with our personal sin. You see, whatever lives within us is going to spread its way across the rest of our body and the rest of our action. He's saying to Moses, you've got to keep your short sin list. You, you Don't let them build up. Deal with your sin. You know what he's saying to you and I today? The problem here in America, our, our problem isn't President Obama. Our president isn't... Our, our, Our problem isn't Congress. Our problem isn't education. Our problem isn't we need more laws. Our problem isn't that we we need financial assistance. You know what our problem is? We need to deal with our own sin. We need to deal with our own heart. You're saying, Chuck, but but it's so much easier to watch Fox News and agree with Bill O'Reilly and fuss at somebody else. And you know what I think God says? Why don't you look at the mirror and deal with the heart issue and the own sin in your own heart? God's saying, I can't use you greatly until I can get a hold of your heart. You want to be a part of the rescue mission? I've got to deal with your heart. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if I'm the only one that has pet peeves. I mean, uh, do any of y'all have some of those that just drive you crazy? I've got a handful, like smacking. (laughs) I have this overwhelming desire to hit people a smack. (laughs) In love. You know, what one of mine is when people drive through a drive through at a restaurant, at a fast food place and say, I have eight orders that I pay for them six different ways. And all I want, all I want is a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a tea. And I'm sitting behind this dude and I'm thinking, really, I'm going to ram your car (laughs) in love, in love. Or you're going down 285, and there's not an exit anywhere to be found, but your blinker's been on for 12 minutes. <laughs> Am I the only one? Y'all have some of those? Like preachers that go too long on Father's Day? I get it. Yeah? <laughs> when I think the things that send me over the edge, I've got to ask myself. Why doesn't my own sin send me over the edge? Let me ask you a question. At this point, God's got Moses ready to go be a part of his redemptive plan. He's about to become a hero that we're going to talk about in 2013 before anything Moses could ever even imagine. And here we are in Sugar Hill, Georgia, talking about the legacy of Moses, how he went and he was a part of God's redemptive plan. And he brought his people out of Egypt. And it was just the most amazing thing. We see movies about him and stories about him and and all of that happened. But before it could happen, God had to deal with his heart and Moses had to deal with his sin and God had to clean his heart up before all of his skills could matter. And let me ask you a question. Businessman, businesswoman, mom, dad, student, what is it you need to lay down and what is it in your heart you need to let go of so that God could do a work and let you be a part of his redemptive plan? You know, if we, if we watched over our heart, I, I, I really don't know how I expect God to live inside such a filthy vessel. And God says, let me come clean it up. Let me make you new. I want to use you in this great plan. And God says to Moses, as you leave Midian, handle what I've given you with care. Hate private sin enough to do something about it, Moses. Because God places a high value on the attitude of your heart. And then Moses is faced with choice number three. To honor God's teaching or lose his power. For you and I to honor God's word, to honor his teaching, or lose any hope of being powerful.
1: I knew it. God was speaking to me. But I wasn't sure that I was ready for it. I mean, come on, I, Moses, have spent the last 40 years watching sheep. The complexity level in a job like that from a scale of 1 to 10 is something like a negative 2. I keep kept coming up with all of these, these objections to what God wanted me to do because, let's face it, I was afraid, but I knew God was speaking to me. I knew what he wanted me to accomplish was right, and even though I really, really wanted to fight it, I knew that he had the power to teach me anything I needed to know. So finally, it sunk in. I knew God was speaking to me, so I obeyed. So in verse 7, it says, then
0: God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And God goes on and says, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. God is already saying to him, hey, listen, I promise you, if you go and this doesn't work, here's plan B. And if this doesn't work, here's plan C. And wherever you go, Moses, I've got your back. Don't worry. This victory will be won And so God is counseling Moses. He's telling him how it's going to work. And literally what Moses' role here and what our role is, stay teachable. Let God teach you something new. Let God lead you into something new. Let God call you to be a part of something new. Some of you, God's calling you to be a part of something that you never imagined. You thought, it was just little old me. How can God use me? Do you know how I wound up having the privilege and the honor of preaching that one funeral yesterday at 1 o'clock? Because a little boy by the name of Dylan came to vacation Bible school. And in vacation Bible school, he learned that there's a church right down the street that loves little Dylan. And all the while, you know what he heard? That that God loves little Dylan and that Jesus died for little Dylan. And then little Dylan said to mom and dad, come, we got to go to church Sunday morning. PC said, we got to be in church Sunday morning. So they came Sunday morning, having no clue that by Tuesday life would be radically different. And you say, well, Chuck, how is that part of my life? Because hundreds of you said, I'll serve. And some of you had no idea that little, that little boy would say, I know somebody loves me today. And you say, well, Chuck, that, that doesn't sound like much. Unless you're Dylan. That doesn't sound like much unless you're Dylan's mommy. That doesn't sound like much unless you're Dylan's granddaddy. Then it sounds like a lot, doesn't it? At the time, Moses was thinking, little old me, and God said, don't worry, I got this. All you gotta do is take one step, I'll do the rest. All you gotta do is let me deal with your heart and you take one step of faith, I got this. And away he went. You see, I, I really believe in verse twelve. When when God says, "Now go," I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. The dynamic of the Christian life is that the Spirit of God enters our life and just takes over. You know, I really have learned this wonderful thing: when we keep our heart open to whatever God wants us to learn, we can think and we can act and we can serve way beyond our limitations. You know why? Because in Him we can do all things, and apart from Him we are worthless. The only good thing we offer is the presence of Christ within us. And you know what he's saying to Moses? I've got you. We're going to do great work. Come on, let's do this. Moses, a stutterer, not a good speaker. He made a lot of mistakes in his past where Moses started in Midian as a shepherd and that wasn't all where he ended up as a great statesman, someone who we're speaking about thousands of years later. He was the man who would write the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, a lifetime of handling his power with care, of hating his private sin, of remaining teachable, allowing God to stretch him and use him and mold him for something extraordinary. Where Moses started out wasn't even close to where he ended up. And by the way, Where you started out, God doesn't even remotely want you to remain, stay there. And if you're not in a growth group and in a Bible study, whether it's here on Sunday morning or at a home group through the week, get there so you can grow up. Get there so you can be stretched. Get there where where God can use you and you can learn and you can grow and you can be a part of something greater. And you say, but Chuck, I'm so busy. Then throw your staff down. Then throw your staff down. I mean, the Lord is saying... I've got this. And all he wants you to say is recognize, God, you own it. It's yours. I'm all yours. There was never a time that Moses picked up the staff and didn't expect to see a serpent. Never a time he put his hand in his cloak that he didn't expect to see a little leprosy. He dealt with that. As a matter of fact, he dealt with his anger. He dealt with his sin and he was reminded that God wasn't done with him. And by the way, God's not done with you. God's going to send you on a rescue mission, and before giving you a mission, He's got to deal with the matter of our heart. And our only response is to say, "I God, I, I don't know how it works, but I want, I, I want you to be the success of my life. God, I, I don't understand how it all works, but I want to keep my heart open." God, I don't understand how you can do it, but give me a clean heart and a clean spirit. And I i I don't know it all, but help me to trust you so you can use me to change this world. Again, we have two groups of people in this room. We have a group that God's calling to be a part of the rescue mission, his redemptive plan to change the world. We have no choice. We can't just sit here on on, in the bleachers and watch life happen. All around us are people in need that literally the God of all creation is saying, go do something. Let me deal with your heart so you go do something. But then we have another group who's in desperate need to be rescued. We're sitting here today and say, you know, I, 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 I don't have any hope of hearing God's voice. And the only hope I have is I, I, I need to know what his voice sounds like. And, and the easiest way to deal with that is to do exactly what Scripture said and call on the name of the Lord. You say, well, Chuck, where do I start? I don't don't get that. It's really this simple. Jesus, I'm sorry for all my imperfection. Forgive me of all that silliness. Come into my heart and live in my life and be my Lord, like be the boss of my life. And and I accept the fact that you died for me and you rose from the grave for me as payment for my sin. And I I don't want to live for you anymore. I want to make a U-turn of my life. I want to live for you. And the great rescuer Jesus, with arms wide open, says, I've got you. Come on in. And now that you're rescued, he says to the rest of us, go on out there. Throw down whatever's keeping you from going and go be a part of my plan, my redemptive plan to minister to people and care for people and love people in need. Go be a part of that plan. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, Chuck, you don't understand. I'm busy. I don't, Chuck, you don't understand. I, I've worked hard to get where I'm at. And yet God who holds it all, who gives it to us all, is saying to us, throw that down. I've got you. And if you'll allow me to, we'll go change the world together. Would you pray with me? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, listen to me, my friend. God, like he said to Moses, says to you, it's a matter of your heart. Maybe today some of us need to deal with our own personal sin. Whatever's hidden in there, whatever's Whatever's really keeping you from throwing that staff down. And just today, why don't you just say, God, forgive me. Clean me up. Make me new. Maybe today you'd say, I've been a Christian 15, 25 years, Chuck. I, but I, I'm, I'm not in the game. I'm just sitting in the bleachers. What if, what if you said, I'm, I'm going to throw my staff down. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to to be used by God to make a difference. I know He wants me to be a part of His plan. I, I want to be used by Him. In, in both cases, you know what you got to do? you got to surrender. you got to say, God, I, 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 know, I know You want to use me. i I got to give up and let You do that. And so today, maybe this song's for you. And in the middle of this song, you'd say, you know what? I, I'm going to bring all... I'm going to bring whatever my sin is. I'm going to bring whatever my shame is. I'm going to bring whatever... Whatever my guilt is, I'm going to bring whatever keeps me from being a part of the rescue. I'm going to bring whatever keeps me from being rescued. I'm going to to surrender. I'm not going to worry what people think. I'm not going to worry about lunchtime. I know it's going to be over in just a few minutes, but when we sing, I'm coming to this altar and I'm literally going to lay it all down. I'm going to leave it behind and I'm choosing to serve God. I'm choosing to live for God. I'm choosing to follow Christ. I'm choosing to be used by God as a part of the rescue. And I'm going to ask you unconditionally. I'm going to ask you unashamedly while Hector and the band sing. I'm going to ask you to just fall on your face before God. Maybe you just kneel right where you're at. Maybe you come to this altar. Maybe you come up here and let me or Bobby or one of our guys pray with you. But whatever you do, don't leave out of here thinking, My life's over. Don't leave out of here thinking, I've just been heaped up with guilt. Leave out of here with the victory of knowing God chose to use me and he's got to deal with my heart before he can. And so today, let him deal with your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And so today, we say to you, we need you and we love you. And we offer this praise to you. I pray, Father, there would be people who would literally bring everything to this altar and leave it and choose to live for you this day. I pray there'd be folks today who'll say for the first time, I need Jesus. I, I want to be rescued. And they'd say to Bobby today, help me, just pray with me. I pray there'd be folks who've been church members here maybe 15, 20 years say, I'm laying it down. I want to be part of the rescue. And so, Lord, as we offer up this song of praise, of prayer, and of need, do what only you can do and work in the spirit and the life of our heart. Would you stand quietly and reverently all over this room? Just stand quietly and reverently all this room. Don't, nobody's leaving. Nobody's walking around. But as we sing, that's desire of your heart, you come this morning and say, I'm starting over. Today's my day.
1: As Hector leads us, you come.